chapter twenty one of one thing needful this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org one thing needful by mary elizabeth braddon chapter twenty one the past is past and i am come to thee look for her among the dead those words haunted lashmar like the cry of the banshee they kept repeating themselves in his ear all through that seemingly eternal evening as he sat at dinner and heard the frivolous babble of his guests around him as meaningless as the prattle of a streamlet over its pebbly bed and later in the drawing-room where lady carmenau played nocturne and mazurka polonaise and waltz with untiring persistence expatiating meanwhile on the merits of a new hungarian composer to a knot of admirers clustered round the piano so wild so pathetic said one yes there is a kind of subtle undeveloped melody added captain Sauer. yes it is undeveloped music agreed mrs Mulciber. that is just the word a melody hinted at rather than expressed it seems to my uneducated ear as if the man had always been trying to hit upon a tune and had never succeeded remarked lady sophia bluntly i'm afraid lady sophia that neither you nor i are educated up to the subtle gradations of modern music said nestorius leaving the piano the touch is too delicate for us the shades too fine we want the bolder colouring of the old masters mozart for instance there is never any mistake as to what he means lashmar turned his back upon that group by the grand piano and moved restlessly about among the furniture now taking up a book from the table only to throw it down again unopened now standing with his hands in his pocket staring idly at a vase of parma violets or a bowl of late roses at last the babble grew intolerable to him and he went off to his mother's room he had not seen her since the morning he had been with her for a few minutes before breakfast and had found her very low and nervous too ill to appear among her guests if i feel equal to the exertion i shall go down to dinner she had said but the dinner hour had come and with it a message from her ladyship excusing herself lashmar found his mother sitting by the fire in her morning-room with her book-table and reading-lamp beside her but with no appearance of having been reading she was seated in a despondent attitude gazing dreamily into the fire she started at her son's entrance well have you heard of her she said at once not a word she has disappeared utterly both nestorius and i have hunted for her all through Brum. the police can do nothing to help us then i suppose we must resign ourselves to the idea that she has gone for ever said her ladyship she has been very ungrateful oh mother what cause had she for gratitude except to my brother what kindness have you or i ever shown her we have given her such a home as she could have had nowhere else we have given her the opportunity to educate herself to the highest point before our kindness she would have had to earn her bread by the sweat of her brow she must have been a domestic servant or a factory girl she would never have remained a servant or a factory girl she is a genius mother and then lord lashmar 
told his mother about the proofs that he had read and of nestorius's and the publisher's praise what then asked her ladyship that book is the fruit of refined surroundings of years of elegant leisure do you suppose that in service her genius if you please to term it genius could ever have been developed do you think there are no gifts strangled and blighted by adverse circumstances no great intellects among servants and factory girls i tell you she had the strongest reasons for gratitude and yet knowing herself useful almost invaluable to me to me a sick woman she leaves me without compunction without a word of regret then you do miss her mother you are fond of her exclaimed lashmar with flushed cheeks and brightening eyes the dowager looked up from the fire for the first time and scrutinized her son keenly fond is too strong a word she said i like my servants i become attached to them even when they are useful and faithful but i am never fond of them but she is not a servant she is gently born has been highly educated is gifted far above other women oh mother be human if you can you know this girl has crept into your heart however hardly you may have striven to keep her out you know that you miss her sorely that she has grown dear to you necessary to me perhaps victorian but not dear yes she has become dear to you pleaded lashmar kneeling by his mother's chair throwing his arm round her as he had done many a time in his boyish days when he wanted some indulgence at her hands but as he had done rarely of late years yes mother say dear to you for my sake for your sake victorian what can you mean for my sake mother yes for my sake this friendless waif this orphan daughter of a demagogue and destructive this pawn of the radical gutter is just the one woman i will have for my wife it may be that i shall not win her i who have done everything to make myself hateful in her eyes but if i miss her i will have none other i will go down to my grave a woman hater yes the hater and reviler of such women as lady carmenau beneath whose alabaster bosom never glowed one generous emotion as mrs vavasour who paints her face a quarter of an inch thick as lady sophia the type of our modern amazon who unsexes herself by manly sports and men's society and never from the time she wore pinafores has thought as a woman as smooth-tongued mrs mulciber time-serving self-seeking the trafficker in society's small vices and large foibles garnering up her riches out of other people's worthlessness one woman and one only have i seen straight truthful original independent scorning fortune when it was at her feet daring to live her own life in the teeth of adverse circumstances such an one will i honour and reverence she and no other shall be my queen lady lashmar looked at her son's impassioned face with absolute horror is this madness she murmured why 
i thought you hated the girl so did i mother god knows i tried my hardest to hate her schooled myself to believe that i detested her would not suffer my eye to linger upon her face or my memory to recall her gracious presence and yet in spite of it all she drew me it has seemed like witchcraft but now i begin to understand that it was simple force of character the influence of a pure untarnished soul upon one that had been blemished and clouded by contact with the world i believe that providence meant her for me that my brother trained her for me that all things have tended unawares to one happy ending she is to be mine if you do this thing victorian if you my son with your opportunities marry so far beneath you i suppose you know that you will break my heart i know that i shall do nothing of the kind mother sweetest there will be a feeling of disappointment no doubt you would have preferred to see the lashmar coffers replenished with the wealth which danebrook made in the iron trade you had rather i had married the iron master's daughter albeit that on her father's side she comes from a much lower grade than boldwood's orphan child but this regret once past you will rejoice in your new daughter since she has been as a daughter to you already though you did not know it there was a pause a silence which seemed long victorian still on his knees by his mother's chair he had been prepared for a violent outbreak for ungovernable anger prepared to hear himself denounced and cast off as an unworthy son but to his surprise the dowager sat for some moments with her hands shading her eyes and her lips silent he almost thought that she was weeping i have missed her sorely she said at last yes sorely she comforted me with that low sweet voice of hers her reading has been a kind of music which soothed my tortured nerves she has been very sweet infinitely patient as sympathetic as i would ever allow her to be but you are right in your accusation victorian i was never kind to her i was always afraid of being too kind of letting her see how necessary she was to me we are made of hard stuff you and i victorian we come of a hard race a race with whom pride of birth has been ever a kind of religion it is difficult to stoop when such pride as that is bred in our bone the heritage of a thousand generations and for my son to marry a girl of no parentage a domestic in his mother's house her father was an oxford graduate my dear victorian consider the herds of oxford graduates down to the sons of oxford hairdressers people ask who your wife is how can you answer them i will leave the answer to time and the lady who bears my name her beauty and her genius should be an all-sufficient answer but she is not mine yet i am talking like al mascar god knows where and when she and i may meet i am haunted by a hideous foreboding tortured by the maddening iteration 
of six miserable words what words look for her among the dead and then he told his mother the story of the slate writing and how he had tried to look upon the whole thing as a folly but had been distracted by the import of words which seemed to interpret his worst fears was it my brain that impelled the pencil he said had my thoughts any electrical power which transmitted meaning through a self-acting slate pencil it seems like madness lady lashmar was one of those hard clear-headed people who would have looked a sheeted ghost straight in the face on the stroke of midnight and would have said you are only an optical delusion and i am not going to be scared by you she smiled in gentle scorn at her son's simplicity my poor victorian she murmured to think that you who were once so sensible should fill your mind with such follies on the eve of a general election too when you want all your wits about you lashmar walked up and down the room in silence for a few minutes and then came back to his mother's chair and stood looking down at her she had resumed her contemplative attitude and sat gazing at the fire in deepest melancholy you are not very angry with me i hope mother he said softly she had been a devoted mother to him concentrating all her hopes and dreams upon his image risking all upon that one cast of the die he felt he owed her more than the common duty which all men owe their mothers no victorian i am not angry with you i am only angry with fate which fashions all things so differently from our dreams to think that this girl whom we both despise should have changed the very current of both our lives what can i say to you if you choose to marry her i cannot hinder you i am deeply disappointed and deeply chagrined that is all i feel that my life has been a failure you will not feel that mother in the days to come when my wife is to you as a daughter when with god's blessing you shall see her children rise up and call you blessed good-night i will not stay with you another moment we have talked too much for your strength already shall i send barker barker repeated her ladyship with a sigh yes i suppose she had better come to help me to bed she is a good soul but when i am ill she always makes me worse look for her among the dead all through the long sleepless nights those words haunted lashmar with a mechanical senseless repetition he had not allowed nestorius to know how much that slate writing had troubled him or the kindly statesman would have put him out of his pain by some assurance of stella's safety no he lay tossing to and fro ignorant of her fate imagining every form of horror that a morbid mind can picture to itself in the dead hours of the night when shadowy evils are rife in the overcharged brain he thought of the river dank weeds entangled in the blue-black hair he thought of the express engine thundering along the dark rails a slight girlish form flung down upon the iron way a flash and the young life annihilated the very semblance of beauty gone and by every agony of fear every hour of separation he loved her so much the more 
look for her among the dead was it the announcement of some hideous doom or was it a riddle given him to read or was it a chance combination of scratches upon a slate meaning nothing but trickery and imposture was it for a clever piece of conjuring that he was racking his brain and torturing his heart he determined on going to brum directly after breakfast next morning he would endeavour to see griselda alone free from the influence of old mrs minchin to whom he was inclined to impute evil propensities smacking of brimstone he would question that strange girl closely would throw himself upon her generosity appeal to her womanly feelings and get her to relieve his mind if it were indeed but a trick of the prestigiator's skill which had caused him such gnawing anxiety he went to his mother's room immediately after leaving his own but was not able to see her barker informed him that her ladyship had had one of her bad nights was trying to get a morning sleep her ladyship's bad nights were a speciality and meant insomnia of the worst kind lady carmenau appeared at the breakfast-table which was altogether an unusual thing i'm going home directly after breakfast lord lashmar she said i'm dreadfully sorry to leave this dear old house and so many nice people but my mother is not quite so well and i feel i ought to go to her not quite so well seemed rather a vague phrase to lashmar who did not even know that the lady had been ailing i'm very sorry he murmured absently mrs mulciver was in despair nestorius sipping his tea and taking furtive dips into the newspaper beside his plate declared that lady carmenau's departure would be as the extinction of the sun or something to that effect lady sophia did not even pretend to be interested she was in hat and habit ready for the fray gobbling her breakfast ravenously in order to be off to a distant meet i hope you have not forgotten my flask bowker she observed to the under-butler who was carving a ham near her no my lady nor my sandwich-case they have both been sent out to the stables my lady ta-ta everybody said the fair sophia snatching up her hunting-crop and hurrying out of the room if you don't want to find every trace of the hounds vanished by the time you get to chipping danbury you had better come with me mr ponsonby she said to the queen's counsel who was luxuriating in a savoury mess of kidneys and mushrooms seething before him in a silver dish over a spirit lamp haven't the faintest idea where chipping danbury is and ain't going to spoil my breakfast lady sophia for any pack in england i shall find the hounds wherever they are you may be sure of that lady sophia banged the door and was gone i'm not going to jog along nine miles of turnpike road with that pretty prattler remarked the barrister to lashmar in an undertone he finished his breakfast in a leisurely way and dawdled in the hall while his hat was being brushed there is a special providence by which such men always fall in with the hounds lady carmenau left the castle at eleven o'clock with a splash of carriages servants and imperials as if she had been starting for italy lashmar relieved at her departure became intensely civil and danced attendance upon her to the last moment i'm sure you are glad i'm going she said indeed i am not i fear my poor mother will miss you 
she has so few people whom she really cares for now you are going it would be better if all the others were to go she is not equal to entertaining people and you have been an admirable deputy thanks for the compliment perhaps the others will follow my lead yes i am sure it bores her ladyship to have people in the house but for your sake she would make any sacrifice yes any sacrifice repeated clarice looking at him earnestly yes she is very good to me answered lashmar gravely i am sorry that her desires and mine should ever run counter but life is made up of such contradictions do you shoot to-day asked lady carmenau while he arranged the sable rug over her knees no the pheasants will have a holiday so far as my gun is concerned i am just off to brum again one would suppose you had a share in some great business there i wish i had the danebrook ironworks for instance oh you need not wish for that it would only bring you trouble i had a most worrying letter from the manager this morning harping upon the ill-feeling of the men and urging me to alter the whole of that splendid organization which my father took such trouble to bring to perfection nothing in life is stationary lady carmenau and we live just now in a period of abrupt transitions a system which was accounted liberal in mr danebrook's time would be now considered the regime of a despot if your manager is a sensible man it might be wise to take his advice that i shall never do i will never truckle to democracy the danebrook works must stand or fall as job danebrook planned them lady carmenau little suspected how near they were to the latter alternative when people say they will stand or fall by a principle they are for the most part assured that to fall is an impossibility the barouche drove off with its fair occupant a cart was being loaded with imperials and bonnet boxes in the stable-yard and there was a wagonette for her ladyship's servants her two maids and the tall footman who went on her messages and carried her work-basket and music-books lashmar drove to thorley common and called upon mrs minchin the spirits were not propitious or rather mrs minchin had a nervous headache and was unable to see any visitor lashmar asked the maid if it would be possible for him to see miss griselda alone and he emphasized the inquiry with a sovereign but the servant told him that miss griselda was never allowed to see any one except in the presence of mrs minchin that she never left mrs minchin's roof except to walk in the garden had never been outside those walls within the servant's memory never was allowed to go to church the servant dwelt on this point as if even in that gifted and advanced circle she felt some hankering after old superstitions in fact lived from years end to years end in mrs minchin's society and under mrs minchin's can and had to get up at any hour of the night to communicate between that old lady and the spirit world it isn't a cheerful life for a young person said the maid i don't think miss griselda is long for this world they say mediums always die young lashmar left his card with a pencilled request to mrs minchin for another interview with the medium and then he drove away cursing that dismal house as he had cursed it the day before deeming the whole spirit system diabolical and yet wanting to know more about it were those words that had so tortured him the result of accident 
could chance so closely fit in with his own thoughts so briefly and directly give expression to his fears he left his phaeton at the lion and lamb and went wandering about the great busy town he was too disgusted with the police to go to them again yet a while he went about on his own account presently it struck him that he would like to see the building from which his brother had rescued the child and which had been re-erected after the fire he had never seen that dreary outskirt of brum in which goldwyn's was situated it lay in the opposite direction to the road by which he entered the city and in a region which had no attraction for any explorer one of those shabby sordid newly-built quarters which have no interest save to the tax-gatherer the city missionary or the philanthropist that new town of brum seemed as a new world to lashmar as he threaded its everlasting streets and terraces of squalid houses where all the window sashes doorsteps and garden railings were of exactly the same pattern and where the only difference he saw in any of the houses was in their measure of shabbiness and dirt all starting from the same point of positive dirt and shabbiness what a dreary world it looked in the grey october day what odours of indiscriminate foulness it exhaled what a dismal monotony of ugliness it exhibited and yet here babies were born and reared to men and women and here men and women lived and sickened and got well again and struggled on to age and died and were fetched in the workhouse coffin the one inevitable end of us all was perchance the only event that disturbed the dull level of such existences he had no difficulty in finding goldwyn's goldwyn's had doubled in size since the time of its rebuilding and whereas at the date of the fire it had stood gaunt and grim and new-looking amidst a desert of unlet building land it was now hemmed around by streets of smaller houses and reared its formidable height above the surrounding bricks and mortar like an old three-decker amid a fleet of fishing smacks the building was not fifteen years old yet looked grimy and shabby enough to have been standing there for a century if any pile so ugly could have been conceived by our ancestors albeit they had a fine instinct for the ugly in architecture there stood goldwyn's with its long lines of windows all of the same pattern and its iron balconies one above the other giving it the appearance of a gigantic iron cage as it were the prison-house of unconvicted poverty lashmar stood on the opposite side of the narrow street gazing up at that barrack and picturing his brother's distorted figure those long lithe arms of his drawing him upward from story to story the slender fingers clinging to yonder railings the lord of broad lands risking life and limb to save one little child whose face he had never seen it was a noble thing to do thought lashmar i ought to have valued her for the sake of that great deed decent feeling respected to my dead brother should have made me kinder to her he had no hope of finding stella amidst that aggregate of struggling humanity the police had been here at the beginning of their quest and had assured themselves that no such person as the fugitive from lashmar castle had applied for a lodging at goldwyn's he expected to get no information here and yet he hung about the place in his despondency not knowing where to go or what to do next feeling impelled to do something were it only to wander from street to street in the vague hope of meeting the fugitive face to face at some unexpected corner 
presently he saw a respectable elderly woman with a market basket on her arm going in under the archway which opened into a stony quadrangle he followed and accosted her may i ask madam if you have been long a resident here the matron turned and confronted lashmar in some confusion startled by the stately address the tall upright figure and darkly handsome face and that indescribable inexpressible air which is ordinarily the result of good birth and a west end tailor not often no not even when an election was on did such a young alcibiades enter beneath yonder arch yes sir i have lived here over twenty years almost ever since the houses were built then you remember the fire here yes indeed sir and i have good cause to remember it for my poor little bits of furniture were all burnt things as i had had from poor mother and as belonged to her father before her which he was a farmer in a small way and her for sure for we never belonged to these parts none of us didn't you see sir explained the lady as if it were a merit not to be a native and not one single stick insured though i'd been thinking and talking of taking out a policy not a week before lashmar tried to stem this stream of autobiography very sad he murmured did you happen to know a man called boldwood boldwood that lost his life in the fire lord bless you sir everybody knew mr boldwood he was a great man my husband used to say a man that ought to have been a cabinet minister a man that had poor people's interests at heart and would have fought our battles if he'd ever come into power and quite the gentleman too though rather rough-looking and careless about his clothes and such a loving father to his little girl she was adopted after his death by the last lord lashmar and has been brought up like a lady had boldwood any friends in brum any people in comfortable circumstances for instance who were interested in him and his little girl not as i ever heard of sir he was a reserved kind of gentleman never mixed with the other lodgers in the club-room he always kept close in his own room never spoke much to anybody and i don't think he could have had any visitors without my knowing it for our rooms were in the same corridor as his and i had my children running about in and out on the balcony and i was always on the move so i must have seen any one going backwards and forwards to his rooms can you show me the position of his rooms yes sir the block was rebuilt just the same after the fire but me and my husband moved down to the ground floor we'd had enough of living up in the clouds you saved your own children easily asked lashmar no sir it wasn't easy my husband carried them downstairs through the smoke and flame and i was too mazed like to think of other people's children till we got out into the street and looked up at the great burning house and felt our lives were safe and then i says where's boldwood's little girl and my husband says she's all right you may depend boldwood's not the kind of man to lose his head in a fire we never gave a thought about the meeting in the town hall and the chance of boldwood's being away i hope you don't think sir that i'd leave a motherless child to be burnt to death if i had the power to save her lashmar assured the matron that he had no such thought and then they went back into the street and she pointed out two windows on the fourth story a little girl used to sit out on the balcony all day in summer time said the woman boldwood had put up an extra rail to make it safer for her and had divided off his bit of balcony from the rest with wire netting so that she sat there all alone like a bird in a cage he didn't want her to mix with the other children and she didn't seem to want to play with them she was very shy and when they spoke to her she answered in a foreign language 
she had her little toys and she seemed to amuse herself contentedly hour after hour but i always felt sorry for her in those long lonely days when her father was away certainly a sad and solitary infancy followed by a desolate girlhood she used to watch the funerals going by to the cemetery said the dame who had no desire to cut short the conversation albeit the rudiments of her husband's high tea were lying in her basket and the day was wearing towards afternoon there weren't near so many houses about here in those days it was almost open country and she could see everything that went along the road to the cemetery and used to sit and watch and watch and wonder and wonder i could see it in her face sometimes when i stopped to look at her but she never asked me no questions she little thought how soon a daddy that she was so fond of would be lying in that cemetery is it near here asked lashmore not half a mile i'll go and look at boldwood's grave good morning madam if you will accept a trifle by way of he did not further explain himself but dropped some loose silver into the matron's willing hand and left her curtsying on the pavement was there ever such a gentleman so noble-looking so free in his manners and so open-handed lashmar found his way to the cemetery which had been placed remote from the town in the first instance and was still well in the outskirts it was a noble cemetery as to spaciousness though a little monotonous as to art but trees and shrubs had thriven the place was neatly kept and on sunday evenings this garden of death was a favourite resort for the sober and serious among the working people of brum the people who liked to go to chapel and take their quiet walk after chapel boldwood's grave the man at the lodge was not a political enthusiast had never heard of mr boldwood could give no information as to his last resting-place so lashmar wandered up and down till he found the handsome headstone which his brother had erected to mark the demagogue's grave in memory of jonathan boldwood a man of advanced opinions and strong sympathies with the poor and the oppressed who perished in the endeavour to save his infant daughter's life and who was much beloved and regretted by the working classes of this city by their works ye shall know them this was the epitaph which hubert lord lashmore had caused to be engraved on the republican's headstone victorian stood looking at the words in a dreamy forgetfulness listless tired physically and mentally would he ever find her whom he sought would he ever in the impatience of his temper in the intensity of all his feelings it seemed to him as if he had been looking for her for ages had exhausted every motive search and must needs with despair he had driven her from him and she had gone you told me to march she had said to him recalling his speech of the past you need not tell me that this time i am going to march and she had marched into infinite space whither he knew not and he stood here in this place of graves stood desolate and lonely among the dead and despaired of ever seeing her face again look for her among the dead that was what the oracle had said and he was here among the dead had been impelled here as it were by some blind instinct not knowing why he came he started with a thrill of horror and looked about him for a new-made grave forgetting how brief the time since she had left the castle scarcely time enough for death and burial yes there was a new grave near boldwood's headstone a narrow mound of raw yellow clay roughly fashioned by the gravedigger's spade he stood looking at it with fixed eyes like a man struck by epilepsy for a moment or so till an approaching footstep startled him from that trance of fear he turned and saw a tall 
slim figure drawing near that black robed girlish form which he had seen so often in the corridors at lashmar and had shunned apprehending an indefinable danger the peril of his peace of mind which was ever disturbed by that presence he had looked for her among the dead and had found her living lovely as when she had last looked upon him in her pride and anger she bowed gravely startled for a moment but composed herself instantly with wondrous self-command and would have passed him but he stopped her stella he said holding out his hand lord lashmore interrogatively and without accepting the offered hand stella will you not forgive me i have been seeking for you ever since that night i have desired nothing on this earth so much as your forgiveness will you not forgive me will you not shake hands with me by your father's grave that plea was irresistible she gave him her hand without a word it was the first time their hands had ever so met his grasp tightened upon the little hand and he drew her nearer to him she shrinking all the while looking at him with frightened eyes half angry half wondering they were alone in the place of graves alone amidst the populace of the dead no one within sight or earshot stella i had but one plea for pardon but one excuse for my brutality the other night for my coldness my neglect my absolute unkindness in all the years that have gone over us since my brother's death my excuse for my conduct that night is that i was mad with jealousy my excuse for years of unkindness is that i have been the slave of caste i have tried not to love you and i love you more passionately than ever i thought to love any living woman were she peeress or princess all my pride of birth all my greed of gain are flung to the winds i love you stella and live only to love you say sweet am i forgiven she had turned giddy with the suddenness of this surprise fainting under the shock of an unspeakable happiness her eyelids drooped and there were flashes of light across her eyeballs and a rushing sound in her head her cheek lay ghastly white against her lover's shoulder as he caught her to his breast and just saved her from falling my beloved say i am forgiven say that i may hope her pale lips tried to answer but were too tremulous for speech there was a pause and then the heavy eyelids were slowly lifted as with a painful effort a soul coming back to life and consciousness and the large dark eyes looked up at him i have hated myself so bitterly for loving you she faltered i have scorned myself for loving the man who despised me ah then we are both content he said kissing her we have both struggled and we have both been beaten by fate which is stronger than either of us my beloved i am ineffably happy there is not in this world a man more deeply blessed and now come back to the castle and read to my mother who has been pining for you and be to her as a daughter she too has tried to shut her heart against you but i suspect that she too loves you she knows everything dearest knows that you are to be my wife if i can win you will she not be angry with you for such a choice asked stella no she bore it like a lamb don't you know that her strong point is common sense and sensible people always submit quietly to the inevitable come dearest we can get a fly somewhere outside the cemetery and drive to the hotel where i left my phaeton we shall be at the castle on time for afternoon tea i believe her ladyship will be delighted she began to find out your value directly you were gone stella explained to him that she could not possibly leave brum thus abruptly she had found kind friends and a home there and her friends must not be left with discourtesy her feminine instinct told her that to be driven back to the castle in lord lashmar's phaeton would be to create a scandal 
if she was to return there at all she could not return too quietly if her ladyship really wishes me to go back perhaps she will be kind enough to write to me a line to send a conveyance for me to-morrow she said she shall do so yes perhaps it would be best but it shall be to-day not to-morrow they went out of the cemetery together and through the streets of brum talking to each other as if they had been lovers of a year's standing the love pent up in either breast the passion long held in check drew them together in a moment they met as rivers meet and mingled as rivers mingle the shock of the meeting was tremendous but the union was instantaneous and complete the chapman's shop was not very far from goldwyn's nor a long way from the cemetery stella explained that since she had dwelt in brum she had gone daily and sometimes twice a day to her father's grave it was the only thing i could do to be near him she said ah it was my cruelty which told you of his death it was better for me to know the truth she answered gently all my dreams about him were childish dreams i ought to have known that if he were living he would have come for me or sent for me he would not have lived away from me all those years and made no sign and i honour him more and more love him more i cannot for the sacrifice of his life what am i worth that two such noble lives should have been risked for me you are worth all the world to me stella answered her lover fondly and the stories tells me that you are going to be the most charming story-teller if i were an american i should say romancist of the age and to delight all the world mr nestorius is too kind and he asked you to be his wife he the man whom women have adored and you refused him why did you reject such a man stella she was silent the pale cheeks kindling with a sudden blush the eyelids drooping why stella why he urged because i could care for no one in the world but you she answered falteringly you who seemed so far off and so cruel but who loved you passionately all the time stella loved you and fought against his inclination tried to be wiser than fate if you knew how laboriously i endeavoured to fall in love with lady carmenau you would understand how potent was that other influence which drew my thoughts away from her they were at mrs chapman's corner by this time a corner shop in a street of small shabby little houses out of which opened right and left other streets of just the same pattern there is no private door said stella would you mind going through the shop i should adore it i have never seen a shop of the kind laughed lashmore he had to bend his head a little under the treasures hanging from the ceiling bacon candles onions lemons and nets what a dear little shop he exclaimed and so well found it is like the steward's cabin on my norwegian yacht stella led him into the parlour that sacred chamber so rarely tenanted in the daytime the chapman family were taking four o'clock tea in the kitchen stella went in to them and told them how lord lashmar had come to thank them for their kindness to her and how her ladyship wished her to go back to the castle i think i shall have to leave you this evening or to-morrow at least she said shyly but i shall never forget your kindness or cease to think of you as my friends and i shall come to see you sometimes if you will let me of course we will my lass and always glad to see your pretty face said the genial chapman looking up from a breakfast cup of steaming tea lord lashmar here exclaimed polly with an awe-stricken look didn't i tell you so oh you naughty girl to try to deceive me may i come in mrs chapman asked lashmar showing himself in the doorway between parlour and kitchen 
oh your lordship such a poor place faltered mrs chapman and the whole family stood up including the printer's reader who had been shelling shrimps for his beloved lashmar shook hands with chapman just as affably as if he had been electioneering as that worthy citizen remarked afterwards and thanked the whole family in heartiest fashion for their goodness to miss boldwood she will have another name before long i hope he added glancing fondly at the blushing face and when she is lady lashmar she can take care that her housekeeper deals at mr chapman's for bacon and bloaters and things with a vague reminiscence of the mingled odours he had perceived as he passed through the shop oh my lord you do us too much honour said the grocer but i hope your lordship will always remember that it was jonathan boldwood's daughter we set store by not the future lady lashmar and jonathan boldwood's daughter will not become ungrateful because she changes her name answered lashmar and now dearest i will leave you with your friends for a couple of hours longer the carriage will be here for you by six o'clock i hope good day mrs chapman he shook hands all round even with the printer's reader who was a rabid radical in the abstract but admired a nobleman in the flesh polly felt that handshake was an event in her life something to remember and talk about in years to come there was no doubt about it there was a something an indescribable air about blue blood which may be taken to mean that polly had never before seen a man who had been trained in the eton playing fields and had rode in the oxford eight nor yet a man clothed by pool or small page didn't i say so now miss boldwood repeated polly when his lordship had gone didn't i see through you the other night for all you kept your secret so well i had no secret to keep polly please don't laugh at me i can't bear it said stella feebly it was with difficulty she kept back her tears mrs chapman patted her on the back as if she had been suffering from a crumb in her windpipe polly wreathed an affectionate arm round her waist as she sat by the family tea-table have a few shrimps miss boldwood said the printer's reader who was somewhat faulty in his pronunciation though he knew the english language when he saw it in type and had brought many a patrician to book on the burning question of the objective case well i congratulate you with all my art my dear miss boldwood said mrs chapman how handsome he is too sighed polly the very image of guy livingstone End of chapter 21